I will say I had to grow up a lot um, through this process. And, you know, when I co-founded HarperDB, I was not ready to be CTO. I had to learn how to be CTO. And I also had to learn how to trust. I had to learn how to cede some control. I also had to learn to become comfortable making decisions. So in looking back, there was a lot of things I did because of the things I just said that did not help the team scale. My name is Kyle Bernhardy and I'm co-founder and CTO at HarperDB. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Kyle Bernhardy built the best database solution based on speed, reliability, and hybrid cloud. All this and more on Code Story. Kyle Bernhardy had a less than traditional path to the tech world. He's been in the industry since the late 90s, but it all started when he was growing up, attempting to program text adventure games on his Commodore 64. In high school, he started running, and that became a major part of his life. So much so, he went to run for Penn State University. He settled into an exercise and sports science major so he could stay close to the sport. Post-college, he didn't know what to do with his degree. He worked in a few corporate fitness centers, but didn't enjoy what he was doing and didn't see a path for himself. During that time, he ended up getting a job in tech support. He grew in this role in his knowledge of database basics, SQL, and supporting database reporting. Once this happened, he moved into the development world. Programming for Kyle is a creative outlet, but not for art, for problem solving. In 2010, he started working for a data center company and met his now co-founder. They would hang out and chat about what it would be like to build something together. While working for a large data aggregation company, he worked through a number of data availability, reliability, and infrastructure issues around massive data processing. Internally, he thought there must be a better way. This is the creation story of HarperDB. So HarperDB is a single data model, NoSQL database with SQL semantics, meaning that things are stored similar to a document store, but you can execute SQL against that. And there's no underlying data transformations. And so you can do either NoSQL or SQL, we don't care. We're globally distributed. Uh, the focus is on simplicity, meaning that an engineer with a few clicks can get HarperDB up and running very quickly, connect multiple nodes together, start replicating data very easily. We're fully indexed, meaning that every top level attribute in your records are automatically created in indices for, and we automatically real-time index that data. So the goal with all this is to make it simple, to make it performant. You can do table joins, you can do aggregates, you can do multiple where clauses, all that stuff you would expect. And now we have a new feature that just came out called custom functions. So on top of a very performant database, you can build your own endpoints um, that run resident with the data, similar to something like Amazon, uh, AWS, Lambda, they're all in JavaScript, um, but you can build your own logic around our operations with access to our underlying functions 
um, but with your extra logic and you can bring in your own packages so you can do things like ML, um, AI, things like that. Um, you could also do it, host a static site inside HarperDB. So the focus is like now expanding that simplicity beyond just the database to now making it a data platform. Fizzle was this big data aggregation company uh, for sports and entertainment. And so one of the things we did was we had Firehose access to Twitter. Um, and one of the biggest projects we did was uh, analyzing every single tweet for the World Cup. It was uh, 250,000 tweets per second that we were doing natural language processing on and you know further analysis and those records were turning into like millions and billions of records. And really like you're looking at all these tweets for every single game. We were doing branded tweets for this telco. And so within an hour after the game, we were putting up a 3D uh, visualization of the sentiment of the game uh, while it was going on, uh, like what people were talking about. It was pretty crazy. Like our database infrastructure was <laughs> at the beginning was not built to handle that. And we were on a relational database and that relational database could not handle large scale individual transactions. It just kept crashing. And so we started like, what, you know, during that month, we built in a more resiliency. So we added DynamoDB as this umbrella to catch all these transactions. And then we would bulk push them to the relational database, which relational databases are very good at handling. But in order to get that over timely, we had to build this custom ETL tool to do this pipeline from one database to another because Amazon didn't have anything at the time that could help us out. So our database infrastructure got super complicated and that was really the genesis for HarperDB because we were spending at least $10,000 a month, I think 10 to $20,000 a month just on our database infrastructure. And a lot of our manpower was going to that sort of like late night TV commercials where you're like, there's gotta be a better way. So we had come up with, you know, an idea of, we loved NoSQL databases because they're super flexible. Um, we also liked the, in relational databases, the ability to run like the SQL semantics and that analytics. And so we really wanted that like peanut butter and chocolate merged together. And we initially came up with an idea that was like multiple products tied together. We also realized we're not database people. We we're power users of databases, but someone else will address this that knows better than us. And you know, about a year went by and we always talked about this idea and we refined the idea about having a single model for being able to do NoSQL and SQL operations against the unified model. We left Fizzle and just, we had about th uh, maybe three months of runway and <laughs> we just, decided to go for it. So tell me about the MVP, that first product you built. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? From the inception of HarperDB up until now, the development framework for HarperDB is Node.js. Um, so all JavaScript um, that, like I said, always was and is. Uh, our uh, underlying framework for HarperDB. Um, and the, f the reason for that was, one, our team had a lot of experience in scaling Node.js applications. We had a lot of experience with it. Also, when you're talking about, especially an MVP, you need to get something done well, um, but quickly. Um, as a early stage startup, um, 
you're benchmarked more on technology in a tech space. You're kind of benchmarked on the tech that you have and the ability to like create something and deliver something. Um, so we needed to get something out quickly and we realized that we could leverage the community. So NPM is one of the largest, if not the largest package manager in the world. Um, and there's tons of high quality open source libraries that we could leverage um, in order to propel our product forward. Um, so that is the framework. The MVP we got, uh, we started in March of 2017. We had an MVP out uh, September, uh, September, October of 2017. So pretty quick, that was an intense summer. And then we had uh, our V1 product out January, February of 2018. So less than a year from inception to a, like a V1 that we felt happy for users to start building products on. Well, with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs about, you know, what you're going to focus on in the beginning, you know, what trade-offs you're going to make and even what technical debt you're going to accept in the short term. So tell me about some of those you know, decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with them. It was a real challenge because being a database and the mindset that we had at the time was creating something new and unique to the marketplace and also how we went about being allowed to ingest JSON or CSV or, you know, records via SQL. Um, we had this notion of like just taking in that record or entry and completely blowing it apart by attribute. We, at the time, built our own underlying data store based on the file system. So that there was a ton of time building that out, deciding how to do this. And that was really the core part. And we spent months just on that piece. And then you need to build the layers on top of it. You need to be able to insert data. You need to update data, you know, just general crud. For the MVP, the thing we realized initially was just to prove our model. We had the layers there to execute SQL, but for the MVP, we did not have a, a SQL layer when the initial MVP went out. Putting SQL to the side so that we could focus on uh, sort of the core operations and the underlying guts of HarperDB, that was actually very freeing. So making these decisions at the time to say, we will do this at this point in time. So time boxing it, not saying we'll get to it uh, sometime, but saying we will get to it once this is complete. This is the next phase in our product. To be honest, it's freeing because there's that mental space that gets released so that you can focus on what's actually like very, very important rather than trying to eat the whole elephant. You're just taking bites. Also, the data distribution was something that we had to let go. So with HarperDB being, um, you know, the capacity to be globally replicated, you have to have a data synchronization mechanism, communication protocols between nodes, things like that. That was also something that we just had to let go because you gotta build the foundation for the product before you start adding uh, connective tissue. Again, it, it was not, we'll get to it at some point, it was, these things are also critical because they are part of our vision for the product and we can't actually do an official release until these things are available. Um, but for an MVP, just to say, 
hey, check out how easy HarperDB is. This is a beta MVP, come and check it out. Being able to do the things that we did were huge successes in our minds. And also, you know, for our investors, you know, through all that, we were able to bring on more investors, start gaining community traction and feeling like, yes, we are continuously onto something here. So from that point, how did you progress the product and mature it? And I assume, you know, you're getting, you're getting feedback and people are using the MVP and you're able to maybe go back and build some of those things. But how did you go about, you know, building and structuring your roadmap and figuring out, okay, this thing is the next most important thing to build? When we started the company and before we started writing code, we did a ton of planning sessions. Aside from the product, from a, a company perspective, some of the very first things that we did was establish mission, vision, values. So really what that is, is creating an identity that's reflective of the people that make up the organization. And I'm only bringing that up because those are guideposts for how you make decisions. And that then helped us also decide like how do we make decisions when we're deciding what to do, how to do things, not just on the technical side. A lot of times these are uh, even more important on the business side. We had like pre-established an initial roadmap for HarperDB when we started the company. And again, before we actually started coding anything. So it was just like stepwise, we need to do this. And now we need to do this. And so really plotting it out and being methodical about what we knew we had to do for the first year of the company. Well, like the custom functions thing was something that we knew we wanted to do from the inception of the company, it just was not as important. Um, and so like even you know, four years later, there's still things that we had roadmapped. It just was not, that had more of a question mark to it, but SQL was a must have, data uh, replication was a must have. We have to do this. But also like you said, is being flexible and agile. So hearing what investors, you know, their investors, especially in the tech space, have a lot of experience, have invested in similar companies. And so listening to their feedback, um, trying to put ego aside and realizing that uh, we don't know best <laughs> and like, you know, uh, other perspectives should be synthesized. Now what we do is we have a feedback board for people to put feedback and people can rank them, you know, vote on them. Uh, we have a Slack channel now, uh, and so we get a lot of feedback through our Slack group. Customers or potential customers hearing their needs, you know, because we're still a startup and you need to adapt to, you know, needs of your customers and things like that. So while we also internally have things that we want to achieve, it's also making sure that this product is useful to customers and potential customers as well. So it's really just like a mix of structure and some organic feedback and, uh, you know, filtering that. And there's times where we think we're gonna do one thing and we push it because there's just something that comes up. To go back to custom functions, that was something that maybe we would have tackled like maybe the end of this year, but we had a, a proof of concept that we were doing for um, a potential customer where enabling them to be able to build their own routes on top of HarperDB with custom logic was critical. Um, and then also realizing that there's a lot of stickiness around this idea 
in the marketplace. And so we jump-started that through, you know, earlier this year and completing it uh, this summer. And it's just like, that was something that we realized, like, we got to do this. We have to do it for this customer and other customers. And now when we socialize it, you know, whether it's like through our Slack group or in sales calls, like it's the thing that people get the most excited about. Like they're excited about HarperDB, but when they realize, oh, I can build something on this, like that's custom to me and my organization, like the lights really turn on. And, and so that's just a great example of being flexible, but also staying within your vision. Well, let's switch to team. And you touched on this a bit in the Genesis story of, of some of the people that you know, joined you and, and were, you know, co-founders and then, you know, you worked with on the product. So, but tell me about the process you went through to build your team. And I'm interested in what you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you. Circle back to what I said, talking about mission, vision, values for an organization and especially essentially really how we choose people that are going to be great fits, great successes. It's really based on our values and our core values are authenticity, transparency, empowerment, and focus. What we want to promote is uh, an environment where people can be themselves um, and just be authentic to who they are because we don't want to generate a company of like corporate drones or anything like that. And also people that bring their unique perspectives, their unique identity to our organization they allow us to come up with better ideas, better problem solving, uh, better community around HarperDB. You know, so without authenticity, it's also around you really accept yourself and you learn to accept other people. And that creates really comfortable environments because work is super stressful and it gets more, you know, human interactions can make things even more stressful that's outside of work. Transparency is also really critical for us in the sense that like we as an organization share like what's going on good and bad from a business side when i'm making decisions for the engineering team you know someone asks me a question and i don't just say yes let's do that i explain my thought process as to why i agree with like we're going to do this and this is why we are doing this and then so if i'm transparent with people I'm also expressing vulnerability with them and that also helps people typically feel more relaxed and reflect that back as well. Um, you know, and that also like leads into then empowerment, right? Because I'm expressing my thought process in this example and my team feels empowered to challenge me or ask me more questions. You know, I want that from them. I'm not just saying it's not uh, dictatorial where it's just do what I say and this is the way it is. Do not question me. I don't know everything and the more time goes on, I, I feel like I know less and less about more and more. So, you know, having a, an empowered team that can, you know, have this like cross conversation, it creates a really uh, dynamic environment. And with that authenticity and transparency, it also creates like an environment that is not combative, um, it, it's collaborative. You know, and our final aspect is focus and that's about like not trying to do five things at once it's about like focusing and doing something well and then moving on to the next thing for the people where those values don't mesh for them and again i'm not saying anyone's right or anyone's wrong um it's just what works for our organization um typically the people where this does not 
resonate with them, they won't continue in an interview process. It's not that we eliminate them, it's just that they'll be like, oh, you know, this organization's not for me. My favorite thing for engineers is, and it's really based off of my background, was I was given a chance. I had no computer science background besides a Commodore 64. <laughs> you know, I had an engineering background with like a lot of math and science, but not like fingers to keyboard um, and knowing algorithms and things like that. But um, I was given a chance and I really love people that are that make um, career switches through their lives like whether that's you know regardless of stage in life like age or whatever those are some of my favorite people because again they're bringing a different perspective from their previous work to now and also they chose to like upend a career make a very conscientious decision be like i am gonna go from wherever i was to into the technology space because i love it and there's various reasons for people getting into it, but there's like a, a, a legitimate passion. It's not just like, uh, you know, I was in high school and I thought I could make money and like, this is good enough. And, you know, <laughs> you know, and that's not wrong, um, but like people that really enjoy technology and really enjoy solving problems. And it's also for me, it's like giving someone a chance is like the best way I can give back to the industry. Um, is like helping people break in because someone helped me a long time ago and someone invested, many people invested in me a long time ago. So, um, you know, I learned early on that that was really important. Well, this, this next question will be interesting given the nature of your product. Um, did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or are you fighting this as you grow? I think from a staffing perspective, you know, with what I had already talked about, I, I think that was like built to scale. Um, I will say I had to grow up a lot um, through this process. And, you know, when I co-founded HarperDB, I was not ready to be CTO. I had to learn how to be CTO. And I also had to learn how to trust. I had to learn how to cede some control. I also had to learn to become comfortable making decisions. So I, in looking back, there was a lot of things I did because of the things I just said that did not help the team uh, or help the team scale. And you know, that's something I'm, I, I'm not saying I'm uh, the yogi on top of the mountain. I'm still working on all of those things but I feel like I am better and I, I love my team and I trust my team and I am happy to see them taking the reins on things. Where I am now, I feel like I am much better now to uh, scale from a personnel perspective, but when we started the company, not really. Because <laughs> I had a lot of insecurities and you know I had to learn. And I was used to being uh, an individual contributor and I had to learn that how I scale my capability is by helping the team, not just, it's not just based on my work, it's on my ability to unblock other people. From a product perspective, um, you know, I talked about our underlying data storage algorithm. Um, that was based on the file system. After about two years, it, it just had significant scale on data issues. And again, like that went back to being like, oh, we're building something unique. So it needs to be unique from the bottom to the top. 
but what we realized was like our initial data data storage process, uh, we ran out of what's called inodes. Like we just abused the file system and it just could not scale for large scale data sets. And if you're using a database, <laughs> it needs to scale to large scale data sets. And so um, two years ago, we had identified, hey, we need to address this. We need to change this. I had done a bake off on a bunch of key value stores. And so on that note, that also goes back to feedback that we had gotten from uh, investors. They said to us, your data storage is very unique. Also, a lot of databases enable multiple data storage mechanisms for different use cases. And have you thought about you know, implementing something else and you know, primarily key value stores and gotten that feedback a few times. And we really just sort of discounted it because that was ego um, on our end. And then when you start running into problems, you get humbled <laughs> and you break down a little bit and you realize, oh yeah, these guys knew what they were talking about. We landed on an open source key value store called LMDB. It's Lightning Memory Map Database. Um, it's an amazing key value store and that has allowed us to scale. Like now, like, you know, data size is not, it's really just limited to like the disk you have. That was one very specific technology area where we were not built to scale. Once we implemented that underlying data store and released that, from a business perspective, things really started opening up for us. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of my team. Um, I love the people on my team. We do, you know, especially since, uh, you know, COVID has hit, we're all fully remote. And so um, every day at 10 o'clock, I have a, a stand up with my team, with my engineering team. And it's like my favorite part of the day is I get to see everybody. And it used to be stand up because when we were in an office, it's like 15 minutes, no more than 30. And it's just like, hey, it was almost like, let's just get this over with. There's definitely some things that we need to talk through here. There's a real point to doing a stand-up, but it was like, well, we're all a small team. We're all like kind of on top of each other anyway. Like, you know, we're just sort of doing this from a process perspective. But since, you know, we've all gone remote, um, it's, it's like we socialize and like I have learned like how much I really appreciate all of these people. And then when I get to interact with our sales team, um, just like how passionate and invested um, all of these people are and just like their unique uh, personalities, like just, uh, you know, and again, going back to what I said is uh, like our organization, like any company is made up of people. And so uh, the organization will then reflect the people inside of it. And what you create is generated by all of them. Um, so if I love the product, I, I love the people too. And, and I certainly do. And just the team that we have created so far and continue to uh, create. I'm just super excited about the people. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I'm not going to name this company because there's nothing wrong with them. But when we initially had um, evaluated key value stores, um, we had actually partnered with a company. It was a for-profit company. Um, and um, we partnered with them uh, to 
do like redo our underlying data store based on their product. Um, and we, you know, we didn't do enough due diligence and it's not their fault. It, it's on us. We didn't do enough due diligence around like how their product would interact with our product, how it would all play out. And we just sort of, uh, it was almost like we felt like it was a lifeline that was being thrown to us. So we dove in and, you know, it cost us some money and it ended up just not working out. Um, and uh, we were you know, sort of planning on like doing, yeah, just like being able to like roll this thing out uh, in like late 2019. And we're all super excited about the potential for it. But once we were doing benchmarks, it just was like our existing data store in a lot of use cases was faster than their and again, it wasn't their product, it was the implementation and just our, our two products were not um, cohe like just the way our product works and the way their product work in our scenario, it just was not a, a good fit. Um, and so we lost money on that. We also lost tech time on that. Um, and that was like a real kind of gut punch. Um, and um, but you know we learned a lot from that and we learned uh when you learn what doesn't work you also then get closer to what will work and so for us it's like well you know our underlying data store can't run as a separate server it needs to run in line and embedded with our product um and that was like one of the key things and it needs to be very flexible and so as we're adding um metadata we need to be able to on the fly, real time, add new indexes and or sub database or whatever you want to call it, and not have to restart something. Um, and you know, we need to be able to really efficiently create iterators based off of different types of range searches or equal searches or you know, you know, all different kinds of scans and have you know control on, over how the data is actually like put into the data store itself. Um, so we learned a lot um, through that, and then that helped us move forward to what I had already, you know, what I talked about with, you know, the Bake Off and LMDB. Um, but it was really disheartening, and the two engineers that I had tasked with implementing this product, um, they were you know, they were gutted because they spent three months working on this, and it was really exciting, and then it just turns out and we, you know, Stephen, our CEO and myself, we personally communicated to them as like, this was not your fault. Like we, Stephen and I own this because we made this decision we sent you down this path and we tasked you with this. Um, it's not your fault, it's our fault, but they were still gutted too. And so you also need to uh, reassure people that the work they did was valuable. It just didn't work out. And um, it took, you know, uh, a month or so of, uh, shaking it off and trying to f figure out what reality is like at this point and you know how do you go forward um, from here but you know we took that time and um, you know like I said we you know did a new evaluate like also what I learned was you know the old phrase trust but verify um, and that's what I did and that's what I've also learned since then is 
you know, using any implementation, working with any other partner, because I would expect that, that of them of us and doing that with anyone else too is like, hey, your product sounds great. I'm going to run it through its paces and make sure it does what I need it to do. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of learning lessons through that. So it's more like learning that even inside challenges, there's uh, always an opportunity um, to uh, learn something from it, right? And that's always like for me personally, like whether it's in work or life, you know, I can't, I can't control what happens in life, but what I can control is my reaction and also looking for, you know, this is a really hard time right now, but what can I learn from it? And how can I choose to go through this in a way that is not detrimental to relationships and, you know, other, you know, aspects of like my personal life or my work life or, you know, the work stream that we're doing. I haven't heard it as succinct as the way you put it, uh, but trust, but verify. I really like that. I was just explaining that or talking to that to one of my team members today. Well, what does the future look like for HarperDB, the, the product and for your team? We're at a really exciting uh, juncture in our company. We're partnering with uh, a number of like telcos, uh, working with a number of like large scale gaming companies really focused on the distributed nature of HarperDB. And like the goal of that um, is really around edge computing. And so the last, you know, 15 years, cloud has been king. Cloud is amazing. We have, we use Amazon for our cloud offering. There are some challenges with cloud and that is centralization and that introduces latency. And even though you can scale applications, let's say you're on Amazon and you can scale, you know, to Virginia and Oregon and Chicago and LA, um, but you might have someone that's down in Texas and the latency for them to get that data um, may still not be uh, great. And also like your databases specifically tend to be uh, very centralized. And so you're creating choke points and all that. And so the focus for a lot of use cases that we're addressing now is about decentralizing your data and scaling it across the globe, bringing your data and your logic close to the users that need it. So while you may be in Singapore, you're not having to make a hop across the ocean to Oregon to you know, hit the API and access the database, or even if the API is scaled, there's still a hop that has to make to the database itself. So bringing everything closer to your user base and because you know we're, we live in a world where you know, you're on your phone and something takes two seconds and you're like, oh, why is it taking so long? Uh, and it's because like, you know, like what's well, going to, sometimes it's like going up to outer space to make a request. It's super exciting that like this, like vision that we've created about scale and uh, simplicity is really starting to catch on. For a while we were focused on like the IOT industry, which is more like micro compute. Um, and so now this is still edge, but it's like edge data centers and it's not necessarily microcompute. You can definitely use our product on a Raspberry Pi to synchronize to bigger servers, but, um, having just what you would consider to be like a big server, but closer to people is really like powering a lot of cool solutions and making the lives easier for customers and like the people that use those customers. You know, one of the things I'm working on like currently right now is just 
researching, you know, uh, improving our data replication algorithm um, and uh, cross node consistency. And so um, making that more battle hardened, it works great now, but just um, making it uh, like looking towards the future and looking towards higher scale and just making this more resilient, more powerful. Um, so I'm just super excited on that from a technology perspective. Um, and uh, also on the custom functions piece, just uh, as people are using it, getting user feedback from that, hearing what their needs are and starting to build out um, that framework and the underlying uh, like SDKs and features that entail that product as well. And just like, and, and it's really for me, it's about empowering our user base um, to do awesome stuff. Well, let's switch to you, Kyle. Who influences the way that you work? Your name is CEO, CTO, architect, really any person that you look up to and why? Uh, Steven Goldberg, our CEO, uh, like he's, uh, you know, he's not involved day to day, but like he and I are super close uh, and we have a lot of like very like deep talks just sort of about like, what are we working on? Why are we doing the things? It's like ends up being more philosophical. Uh, Steven was like a religious studies major. Um, and so I think that's where, you know, a lot of that comes from for him, but like we just have a very good connection and he helps guide me when I'm having a hard time, you know, making a decision or, um, you know, just working with any like challenge in the organization. And also like we've known each other for a long time. We're like best friends. And so like, there's also, you know, on the personal side of our lives, you know, we get to also like share, like, you know, great things are happening in our lives, challenging things are happening in our lives. And so, um, yeah, I mean, he's just a huge support um, for me. Um, but, you know, I would also say like on top of Steven, like who influences my work is uh, like my engineering team, because I'm always looking for feedback um, from them and uh, I learn new things from them all the time um, and so they also impact me in like many small ways well we talked about a mistake but a little bit different spin if you could go back to the beginning what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach I guess, you know, if I could go back in time and like inject some knowledge from where I am currently, I would, uh, around the whole data storage piece, I would, uh, you know, push myself to change that. Um, but you know, where we were at the time, I, I don't know that I can make that change from a technology side. I think more than anything, what I would, you know, say to myself just very personally is like, um, uh, yeah, this is serious, but try not to take it too seriously. Like you can still do serious things with a light heart. Um, and so I think I would give myself that advice is like, try not to, uh, or, or try to enjoy this a little bit more and don't be as, uh, uh, feeling so, um, afraid, I guess I would say, and being afraid of failure, um, because you, it's not, it's not the end. <laughs> Failing is not the end. It's just, <laughs> you know, not to be a cliche, but it's just the start of something new. 
Um, and it's an opportunity to uh, try something different. So I think it would be less about the technology and more about like me personally, how I would approach starting the company. Well, last question, Kyle. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Well, one, I would uh, just appreciate their excitement and the stage that they are at in, in their path, that they're like at the cusp of so much uh, opportunity. Um, the advice I would give is I think the advice I uh, was going to give uh, me from four years ago was, you know, this is uh, a long race. It's not a sprint. Um, try to make sure that you take care of yourself. Um, and while, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to do from a work perspective, try to focus on, you know, the people in your life that help, uh, fulfill you, the things in your life that, um, help restore you, um, whatever those things are, going for a walk, laughing with a friend, um, you know, reading a book, whatever that is, make sure you spend time on those things and uh try make sure you meter out your energy as much as you can while this is also a very uh can be an intense ride at some at times it's gonna and also it's like the the lows while they feel very low are not permanent and look for the like when you're in the parts that are really fun take a moment and like feel it and acknowledge it and say, this is good too. Well, Kyle, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Harper DB. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you again for having me on and just, yeah, giving me the opportunity to, uh, yeah, tell the story about myself and, and most importantly, the company and the people in our company. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.